0: Welcome, Kelly, to the podcast Unscripted with Alex.
1: Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm excited to be here.
0: So today's conversation is going to be talking about family nutrition and helping little ones starting eating, fussy eating and all of that sort of thing, and right through to young families and how to um, make sustainable changes, I suppose, or have sustainable eating habits and healthy eating habits as a whole family. Mealtime can be a little bit stressful, particularly if they have fussy eaters do you know what's the cause of fussy eating um look firstly
1: i will say it's really it can be really normal a really normal stage for a lot of kids to go through some fussiness at mealtime um but sometimes it goes beyond that so some common causes can be an over or a high consumption of packaged foods or highly palatable foods so if you know when we've started off our children's eating we're relying a lot on packaged foods it can basically they they crave those foods they're much more palatable much easier for them to eat they taste really good because they've got you know Sugar and all those yummy things in there, so it can yeah really make them crave those foods and and not so much enjoy those, those um, whole foods or those those meals that we would like them to be eating. And unbalanced gut flora is another really common common reason for fussy eating. So obviously, in our gut microbiome, we want more of those good bacteria and less of those um, you know bad bacteria. But sometimes if there is more of those bad bacteria in the microbiome, those bacterias crave and feed off sugars and carbohydrates and those kind of foods. So it makes our brain or the children's brain crave those foods and want those foods. Um, and so then again, they're gonna be um, refusing those healthier meals that we're offering because their tummy just wants those, those processed foods and those sugary foods. So that's a really, really common one. Nutritional deficiencies is another um, cause or can be another cause of fussy eating. And that's a bit of a vicious circle, that one, because if there's fussy eating to begin with, that can cause nutritional deficiencies, you know, B12, iron, things like that. But then if we have nutritional deficiencies that can cause fussy eating. So it's a real, it can become a real, a real vicious circle. So that can be another cause.
0: So kind of like that condition Pika when they've got really low um, levels of iron and they just want to eat, you know, some kids will even eat sand or things that aren't food to, because that's what their body's trying to get more iron into their system.
1: That's right. The body is yeah, exactly that. It's it's craving those foods and it's trying to get in. And, and sometimes, like you said, it's not even in a food source. It, it you know that's that's probably an extreme version. But yeah, basically
0: the the same sort of um, principles there. That's right. And if we jump jump back to the packaged food thing, um, are we talking like so? Starting from really young age, there's um, in the supermarket those little puffs and they. And the kids love those little puffs. Are we talking about that sort of thing or are we talking about like um, frozen fish fingers or what sort of?
1: Yeah, look, it can be all of the above. Um, uh, If we're relying, you know, if we're not cooking a lot of foods from scratch and, you know, we might be using fish fingers for a main meal, those puffs for a snack, um, you know, a squeezy yogurt for another snack. Then, yeah, it's all of those foods. And a really quick way to see um, if that could be the case is to flip your packet over and have a look at the ingredients. And often, uh, more often than not, you'll find ingredients on there that you actually don't know what they are. You know, they're not an actual food ingredient. Um, a lot of additives, a lot of preservatives there are some good choices. Don't get me wrong. We're really lucky these days. There are some really great choices when it comes to packaged foods and processed foods, but the majority do have a lot of ingredients in there that are not ideal, particularly
0: for our small children. That's good to know then, because it's quite hard sometimes when you're running around and you're quickly going to go out for a catch up with someone and you're running late because, you know, Bub's just done a poo before you've got to leave the house and you're quickly like what are we doing and sometimes just to grab like a packet food or something like that can be really handy so yeah good to know that there are some options but really we've just got to flip over and have a look and see is there any numbers on the back there that that might be an indicator that's a food additive or you know if there's something that you you just don't know what it is it's highly likely it's not great for them and so we're going to yeah try and find those other options and then on in terms of the the gut Bugs and gut microbiome. We talk about this a lot. Obviously, one way if they have a lot of the bad um, gut bugs in there, even with some children, they can use some things like SB um, uh, to kind of clear out their healthy yeast to bind to those unwanted bugs and flush it out. And I suppose sort of that might be one step to help them move forward in trying to eat more of those um, fruits and veg- vegetables because that's obviously what they need, unless of the packaged foods. But like you said, it's a bit of a cycle, isn't it? It is
1: a bit of a cycle, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's just you know if that is what's happening, I think it's really just about taking those small steps, and it's not going to be a quick overnight fix. But there's certainly plenty that you can do um, to mitigate it, like you said, with those beautiful probiotics Um, Adding in some fermented foods is a really great way to to improve that gut flora. And don't, you know, just because we maybe don't like something like sauerkraut, don't think that kids will necessarily hate it as well because their taste buds can be so different to ours. And if we're introducing it at a a really young age, that can just help to set them up for those really great habits too. So, yeah, don't, don't have preconceived ideas about them not liking it. I think it's really worth delving
0: in and giving it a go yeah no that's so funny because my my partner hates zucchini he like just will not touch it but my little one he absolutely loves it if you won't eat anything else i could chop up some zucchini pop it in like just steam it and give him just plain zucchini and he'll eat it all up and my partner's like that's just disgusting (laughs) like, no, let him go for it. This is just so healthy. It's amazing. (laughs) I think it's
1: really common for us to put our ideas on the foods that we dislike onto our children. So I think we've got to really keep an open mind when it comes to that.
0: So we've probably touched on a couple of things to help children who are craving those sugary foods. So just to outline them again a little bit clearly. So obviously... It's quite easy to get into the pattern of your your children loving sugary foods because it feeds those bugs and you've got unwanted bugs sitting in there that make you want to crave more sugar. Plus, sugar has its own little chemical reaction that is happening in the brain to make you want to eat more and more. What are some other suggestions? So you've said there may be sauerkraut. Do you have any other suggestions that they can do to help small steps to improve getting away from the sugar?
1: I think first step would be, um, like I mentioned before, really starting to read your food labels. So, you know, if, if you are, you know, we're all busy, if you are relying on um, a, a certain portion of, of the kids' snacks or whatever being uh, packaged or ready-made foods, then just by flipping it over when you're shopping and reading that food label, get to know how much sugar's in your products, you know. Uh, One teaspoon is about five grams of sugar, four or five grams of sugar. So you can quickly have a look on the back of, say, a squeeze of yogurt, how much sugar is in there. There can be sometimes four plus teaspoons of sugar in one of those tiny pouches. Um, It's a lot. It's heaps. And children are only recommended to have four to six teaspoons of sugar in a day. So, you know, you can see how very quickly, if you're not checking, that sugar intake can just Absolutely, go through the roof. You know, they might be having a squeeze of yogurt at recess, some cereal at breakfast, maybe a juice box in a lunch box at lunchtime, a muesli bar in the afternoon. They can be having 12 plus teaspoons of sugar in their day just in those snacks. So, a really great beginning is just starting to read those food labels and know what you're looking for and what you're looking at. And like I said earlier, there's always great alternatives, you know, just by swapping brands of a squeeze of yogurt, you can go from four teaspoons of sugar down to one, you know, or even less than one. So those simple swaps, those small swaps are a really, really great place to start. My next suggestion would be if you have the ability to and the time to, to start making more foods from scratch at home. Um, you know, not everyone grows up cooking a lot, so it can, it can take a long time. You know, it's a really learned um, thing to do if it didn't come from the way you grew up, you know, for example. So learning to cook um, is a great skill to have. And then you just have total control over what's in your food, um, whether it be sugar or whatever the ingredient. So starting to cook a few more things from scratch if you've got the ability to do that. Um, batch cooking can really help with that when we're busy you know uh, do a double batch of muffins and freeze them so that you've got them on those busy days when you don't have the time Um, but that can really help to reduce sugar um, and get more of those ingredients in that you do want your children um, eating and then I'd say don't always offer sweet foods. I think it's really common for at snack times for people to offer sweet foods, you know, a biscuit, a muffin, whatever it might be. Try and make some of them a savoury food, you know. It could be some cheese and crackers. Um, It could be some little meatballs. It could be, you know, anything like that. And that's going to really help with reducing the sugary sugary foods, you know, just by adding a few savoury options in as well.
0: I hadn't thought of like meatballs. I suppose you could do savoury muffins, couldn't you? Like a vegetable type muffin.
1: Yeah, savoury muffins. Um seed crackers i've got a really great um recipe on my website for seed crackers and all that's in them literally is seeds and water and a little bit of salt and and spice um they're very easy to make it makes a nice big batch something like that they're really tasty dips dips and veggie sticks they're a, a really great one um if your kids quite adventurous pate um you know pate and crackers pate and veggie sticks again, because we don't like something, don't assume that your kids aren't going to like it. And pate is just so full of iron, iodine, you know, all these beautiful nutrients that our kids really need for their growth and development. So um, yeah, something like that can be a really
0: great option as well. I'm going to go out and get some pate and try it. It's always fun to see what they, <laughs> what they like.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And even if you, you know, have ex- excess pate, Pop a spoon into a bolognese or something like that. You know, it's a good way to get some liver um, into into a meal time for them as well. Because not all kids are going to accept it, but hiding it sometimes, you know, is,
0: is another good way to
1: get that goodness
0: in. That sounds like a really easy way to disguise disguise it in food, by give that real boost of nutrients in a meal. Do you find yourself constantly reaching for sugary foods? It's no secret that eating too much sugar can wreak havoc on your gut health. Not only does it feed bad gut bacteria, but it can also cause inflammation and damage to the gut lining. Vatika Co.'s Gut Health Protocol is here to help. Our simple four-week reset program is designed to remove triggers and unwanted microbes, supporting you through your sugar hangover and repairing the gut. So why wait? Start feeling better today with Vatika Co.'s Gut Health Protocol. So some parents can have real trouble, a real battle, a bit of a fight on their hands sometimes when it comes to mealtime. What are some suggestions to help children accept more foods or starting to get them to get on board with these changes? Yeah,
1: so... That mealtime battle is real. I think everyone with children has been through it. It's not fun. Um, Mealtimes are supposed to be a time of connection, talking about our day, you know, some really great family time. And if there's that stress at the dinner table, it's not pleasant. You know, everyone wants to run and, and get away from there as soon as they can. So I think my biggest tip is drop the stress and drop the expectation. You know, often the mealtime battle. On the kids' side, it can be a bit of a control issue. You know, small children don't have a lot of control over their day today. You know, they're they're told where they've got to be, what they've got to do. So, mealtime can be a way of them standing up and having a little bit of control, you know. If they're going to say no to a food, good luck to you getting that food in them, you know. It can be really, really difficult. So, if we drop the stress and drop the expectation, it makes for a much calmer mealtime meal and some acceptance around food is a lot more likely. When it comes to adding new foods or trying to get our children to accept new foods, my tip is go slowly. I would not fish them up a completely different meal that they have never seen before with all these new vegetables all at once. It's it's not going to generally go well. Um, It's new, they've never seen it before. So the approach that I like to take is go slow, go small, and some seen and some hidden. So I think it's really important to not get into a cycle of only hiding the foods that we want them to eat, that we think they're not going to accept it's not going to set them up for good habits. If they're, say, for example, only getting their veggie intake through a pasta sauce which is blended up and they can't see, it's not teaching them um, about food variety and about um, accepting these foods. They have no idea they're eating them. So, you know, if you then go and serve up one of those vegetables on the side, they're still not familiar with it. They don't know what it is that they've been eating it. So I like to use some seen, some hidden. For example, if we're trying to add in a new vegetable, I might, you know, we might have a bolognese for dinner. I might put a good amount of that new vegetable hidden in the in the bolognese, you know, grate it, puree it so that they don't know it's there, but then have a little bit of that new vegetable seen. So whether it's some chunks of that vegetable in the bolognese sauce or even just a little bit of it on the side. So they're getting some in and they're also seeing that vegetable. It can take... 10 plus times of offering a new food before a child will accept it. That's just reality. Sometimes they'll accept it straight away or quickly, but it can take a really, really long time. So don't have this expectation it's going to get eaten on the first, second or third try, but don't give up. I think too commonly we try once or twice and then we go, oh, my kid just doesn't like that food and we give up. We're giving up too early. We really need to offer it and offer it and offer it, you know, after three or four times of just poking it around, they might one day decide to give it a lick. The next time they might give it a little nibble and then you're off and away. But it really can take a lot of of times of offering it before they'll accept it. And the benefit of having some hidden, again, going back to our microbiome, when they're starting to consume the food that we want them to eat, it changes their microbiome pretty quickly and those new bugs in there from that new food are going to what that food. So that can actually help with the acceptance. They're unknowingly eating the food already, but it actually can help with the acceptance of that new food. So it's a really good technique, some hidden and some seen.
0: That's fantastic. I love that idea. I'm going to give that a go. And it's funny that you've said like 10 times, That's that's a lot. And I think in the back of my head I actually knew that number, but um when it comes to your own child, you forget these things. And yeah, like with pasta, he my little one just doesn't like pasta. I think I've offered it probably only three or four times and I've kind of said oh my he doesn't like pasta but Need to keep offering it, keep offering it, because obviously their food, their the palates are changing, constantly changing, aren't they?
1: They are, yeah.
0: You might accept it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Keep trying; they they might accept it. And, um, you know, back to that control issue. Another really good um way to have a meal time is a buffet style meal. Uh, You know, won't necessarily work with babies, but with toddlers and older having that buffet style meal and you can sort of separate, you know, you might have your, your pasta or your rice, your carbohydrates, your meat, a veggie plate. And then they can choose from from the different plates some of everything you know you, you probably need to have some rules around that you know they, they need to choose at least one thing from each plate um but it gives them a little bit of control back and that can really help with that meal time battle too they feel like they've had some control over their meal time and again if those foods that are new are on that table in the middle of the table every night it's going to help with that familiarity and it still you know, might take a lot of times of them saying it before they'll even go near it. But having that buffet-style buffet meal can,
0: can really help for the kids to feel like they've got a little bit of control over, over mealtime and what their food choices are. If they're just not wanting it, they're just really refusing it or they're just saying they're not hungry, often that might also be to do with them having lots of snacks potentially throughout the day and so they're not hungry when it comes to mealtime. But if you put food in front of them and they just don't want it. What do you do? Do you recommend offering them something else, or is it um, you don't? Because you, then you're pushing your boundaries, you're moving your your goalposts. What sort of what's some suggestions there? What should we do?
1: Yeah, so I, I think um, we we want to set them up to have really good eating habits. Um, and like he just mentioned, if they're snacking a lot throughout the day and they're offered snacks after a meal time that they perhaps haven't accepted and they didn't want to eat their meal, then it, it it's setting that up, isn't it? It's setting up that, oh, well, I don't need to eat that meal because I'm just going to get some snacks afterwards anyway, and it's fine. Um, it's really important for everybody, not just kids, but everybody to have for their their gut and their digestion to have some downtime. So if they're having constant snacks all the time, their digestion's not getting that you know that rest um, and repair time. So that for one is really important to not be offered snacks constantly all day, um, particularly leading up to meal times. And then at meal times, if they haven't eaten a meal, if they've just pretty much eaten nothing, is this. It's going to take some time, but I think they need to realise that there are times where it's mealtime and that's when you're expected to to eat something, (laughs) hopefully a really good meal. Um, And this is where I like to use the kitchen open, kitchen closed technique. And it takes a little while for the kids to get used to, but if my children aren't going to eat at their mealtime, You know, I'll give them plenty of warning, plenty of, um, you know, chances and say, you know, okay, well, if you're not going to eat now, you might want to eat something because the kitchen's not open again until the next, you know, you decide whether it's a a certain snack time or the next meal. Um, And if they still choose not to eat, then okay, so be it kitchen's closed. And it's hard to stick to that. If you've got a kid screaming at your legs going, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, you know, not long after a mealtime. It's tricky. But if you stick to it, then they're going to, it's not going to take too long for them to realise, okay, mum and dad mean business. I need to eat at my meal time, or I'm not going to get to eat until, you know, whenever that next snack or meal time is. Um, so that's the technique that I like to use. It might seem a little bit mean, but they're not going to starve themselves and, it, it, you know, it's just going to set them up. It's a learned behaviour so they know what the expectations are
0: around when they're going to eat. I think that's a fabulous technique. Well, my little one, he's um, 16 months or coming on 16 months. So he's only young, but he's starting to learn to push boundaries and work out what boundaries are. And so we've had lots of talks around, um, you know, putting down some rules so how can we start implementing it at a younger age this um just maybe language or would we just say kitchen open kitchen closed but have be a little bit more flexible around the younger age or do you have any ideas with that
1: yeah look I think when they're really young probably your little boy's age that might be a little early to start it but I think you can start the language around it like you said you know start talking about it and um that's going to help when it comes time that you decide that you're going to put that in place. It's sort of familiar already, um, you know, perhaps in that, in you know, in-between stage, um, only having certain things um, on offer, you know, not open slather, um, maybe just some veggie sticks or, you know, something that's not super appealing. But if they're really, really starving, they're going to eat. So that could be a good technique for that. But I think you can start it fairly young. You know, I would think two, three years of age that it's perfectly acceptable to start that. Like I said, they're not going to starve by missing one meal. um, And and starting it earlier is only going to help with
0: that structure. What do you think in terms of plain versus flavoured foods? Is there like, uh, does it matter? Is one better than the other? If you've got fussy children, do you try to stick with maybe more plain foods and not putting in so many herbs and, you know, garlics and onion and spices and things, or is it good to try and introduce more of those? So they've got a more, um, versatile palette, I suppose.
1: Yeah, look, I think we can just take their lead on it a little bit sometimes and, and have a play around with it. Um, I think, like adults, often children have different taste buds as well and, and like different flavours. So, you know, when I think of my children um, in the early days, one really wanted that plain food, you know, the plainer the better almost. Um, but my number two, he, he loved flavour a lot more and a lot earlier. So I think, look, if you're not having much luck with plainer food, try some flavours, um, you know, and, and don't be afraid. Obviously go easy with things like chilli. Um, not many children like spicy, spicy food, but you can get beautiful flavour some food Um you know, in, in lots of different ways. So I think just give it a go. Um, if you're finding that you need to use um, a lot of sauces to get your children to eat meals, you know, I think it's really easy to get into the trap of offering tomato sauce with most meals for them to dip their meat or, or whatever in. Um, you know, try not to get into that trap too much if you haven't yet um, but you're, if you are in that position again going back to reading those labels um, because sources can be a place where there's a lot of nasties hidden you know not only salt and sugar a lot of additives MSGs things like that so again getting back to reading those labels and if you need to offer a source or if you want to offer an assor- a source um, just making a really good clean choice around that looking at those ingredients.
0: What about children that are going to to school and their lunch, lunch boxes, so preparing their for meals when they you're not there to supervise them to to eat their food. Is there any way to help them with getting more foods when they're at school? Do you get them involved with packing the lunch box or do you do stuff around when they get home if they haven't eaten their foods? What are some sort of suggestions with preparing a lunch box?
1: Yeah, I think getting them involved in what goes in there is a really good um, way to handle it because um, – you know, and obviously guidelines around that, you know, you need to have some kind of vegetable, you need to have some kind of fruit and then a snack food, whatever it is. Um, But the more choice that they have with boundaries, they're more likely to eat it basically. So I think getting them involved is really good. Um, Having a really nice balanced um, lunchbox and, you know, I think sometimes we – worry too much about each meal and making sure there's the right amount of each food group in that one meal. We do want to have it fairly balanced, but I think as well we need to look at the day as a whole. So that's a good way to look at a lunchbox as a whole too, you know, if over that um, morning snack and lunchtime, having each of those food groups that that need to be covered, um, Yeah, sometimes looking at the whole day rather than the meals takes a little bit of that stress away too. Um, We need to look at what they're eating on that whole day rather than just a portion of it. Um, And absolutely, when my kids get home, if they haven't eaten what's in their lunchbox, obviously if it's a ham sandwich and it's been sitting in there all day, I'm not going to make them eat that. That's, you know, past its use by date. Um, But if they've got some veggie sticks left in there or they haven't eaten their fruit, that's what they're getting for afternoon tea, you know, with something else as well. But I think it's important to, to start those expectations early that they're going to eat what's in there. It's in there for a reason. They need all of those foods for their nutrition. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And it stops the food wastage too. I think offering that up at afternoon tea and then they can have something else after it is a, a good way to, to um, yeah, stop that, um, that wastage and help with that situation.
0: And you kind of touched on it there, um, balancing your carb, protein, fats. Is there an easy way to work out roughly making sure that it's balanced? Because sometimes, that, yeah, that is a tricky thing. I think looking at it as a whole over the day would definitely take off stress. I never thought about that. Is there other easy ways to look at um, when you're preparing foods to make sure that they're getting all of their things?
1: Yeah, look, there's great resources online. Um Raisingchildren.net.au, I think it is, um, or Nutrition Australia have got those standardised um, recommendations of servings per day of each food group. Um, So that's a really good place to start if you're not familiar at all uh, about where you can head for those guidelines. Um, But I think, yeah, like I said, looking at it over the whole day and making sure that they are having a good amount from each of those food groups. Um, You know, a good amount of fruit and vegetables, um, some protein, preferably some protein at each meal, because that's what's gonna help to keep them full um, and to keep that blood sugar nice and regulated as well. So, you know, it is good to have some of each of those at each meal time. But if that's not happening, then yeah, look at the day as a whole. Don't think you've failed because you haven't got each of those groups in at one meal time look at the day and you realise that you have covered everything that's required.
0: That's good. That could take a little bit of stress off.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we need to do that. You know, the less stress, the better. Mums and dads have got so much on their plate and, um, yeah, we want to reduce the stress where we can and make it easy for ourselves.
0: Sure. Now, another time when a child might get a little bit fussy with their eating might be around um, times when they're sick or if they're teething or if they're older children and they're, um, you know, cold, flu or just not feeling well. Um, what are your suggestions there? Because they obviously will lose their appetite a lot of the time. Do we try to get them to eat? What sort of foods should we get them to eat? Is there anything we should avoid?
1: Yeah, look, I think when they're sick, I think, um, it's a, it's good to follow their lead to a degree. Um, you know, if they often, like you said, do go off their food, and, and that's okay. That's their normal bodily response. Um, you know, if they're going days with totally refusing food, you would obviously want health. Uh, head to your health practitioner and and get some help Um, but if they have a couple of days of a reduced appetite then I think that's okay Um, as long as they're getting plenty of fluids in there um, lots and lots of water um, offering maybe something like a bone broth um, because that's going to help with their fluids and also gives them some great nutrition to help their body to heal um, from being sick smoothies can be another good one you know if they're Don't feel like food, but they're open to having something, um, just a beautiful smoothie with some, yeah, make sure you can get some veggies in there, some fruit, some good fats, Um, and just getting the nutrition in where we can. It doesn't need to be set big meals like they normally would eat. So I think following their lead to a degree is, is yeah, really wise. Um, As far as foods to avoid, I would personally really avoid sugar. Sugar reduces our immune system. Um, So as much as we can avoid sugar in times of sickness, it's going to really benefit. Um, You know, a bit of fruit's okay, but I would avoid any sort of added sugars for sure. And like I said, adding in those really nutrient-dense foods that are going to be easy for them to eat, bone broths, smoothies, even just some nice chopped up food. Approach, you know, depending on what their illness is. If they've got a sore, irritated throat, some really nice cold fruit can be really soothing and a good way to get something in there.
0: I like that you said putting some vegetables into the smoothies because I suppose we quite often think dairy and fruit or like a coconut water or something like that, but you can definitely try and get vegetables in there. Are there any ones that you particularly suggest work well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so getting yeah some veggies into the smoothie is such a great way to up their vegetable intake and up their fiber intake, which is really, really crucial. I think majority of children and adults in Australia don't eat enough fiber. And fiber is super important for our whole system. Um, and again, going back to those gut microbes, that's what feeds our gut microbes. So if we want a really diverse microbiome and, and good health in general, high fiber is really quite important. So smoothies are a great way to hide this and loads of things. It's where I put everything that I want my kids to have that they won't necessarily take on their own and they don't know it's in there. They have no idea. So um, vegetable wise, I love avocado um, because it's giving them a really good dose of fats um, as well as those other nutrients. Um, another good one's cucumber, particularly if you're doing a green style smoothie, cucumber can be really great. Zucchini, um, you know, have it chopped up and keep a little packet in the freezer. Like add frozen banana, maybe split it, add half frozen banana and half zucchini. Um, and the other two that I love to add is, it's going to sound strange, sweet potato and cauliflower. So, um, Don't worry, they won't taste it. It just adds a bit of sweetness and thickness. But um, if you steam or boil and puree and freeze it into little ice cubes and keep a bag in the freezer and just pop one or two of each of those of sweet potato and cauliflower into the smoothie. And then when they've got the banana or the berries and all those other things, like I said, they're not going to taste it, but it's adding more variety of vegetables and a really, really great
0: dose of fibre. You have really inspired me with some ideas now. I'm going to go and do a big meal prep for the whole week and, um, yeah, go freeze up some little cauliflower and sweet potato and, yeah, great way to put it in. And for all ages, smoothies are fantastic, aren't they? Because even, like, from, you know, 12 months or whatever, they can suck away at that and right up to, yeah, school age kids'
1: Yeah, school-aged kids, adults, we start. We have a smoothie pretty much every day, as either as our breakfast. Um, my children are a bit older now, um, either as our breakfast or um, part of our breakfast. And like I said, it's just such a good way to sneak all those things in at the start of your day, you know, with a really good boosted smoothie. From breakfast time, your first meal of the day, you could already have had two to three serves of vegetables, um, some other really great um, fibre boosters chia seeds flax seeds there's so much you can add to smoothies and um you know also they can be time consuming to make sometimes so there's lots of shortcuts there you can when you have time on the weekend make up smoothie bags and have them ready in your freezer so in each bag you'll have your vegetables your fruit your greens and leaves um And then all you've got to do is pop that into your blender with your liquid and maybe a couple of powders and it saves a lot of time. So there's lots of shortcuts if you're worried that it's going to be too time consuming on an early, uh, a busy morning.
0: Yeah, there's sort of no real excuse with that one, is there? Because it's also great, yeah, if you're on the run and you've, you've got to go and you can't, maybe you are running late for somewhere and you just need to quickly grab it. Yeah, whip up a smoothie and they can eat it on the way. Or <laughs> you can eat it on the way when you're running around doing all your chores.
1: Absolutely. And you can do it the night before too. Pair it the night before and have it in a, a jar or whatever and just give it a quick shake and it'll sort of bring it back together. And if you're really time poor, that's another way.
0: I found it very helpful when I was in my uh, postpartum recovery and just in those early days when you've got a baby in one hand, you can't really, you're trying to do things with one hand and eat with one. So having a smoothie was always very easy. So you've touched on this a few times now. Our kids will eat, what we eat or what they see often. So we might put our, um, what we like onto them and get, they end up following the habits that we have. So sometimes these changes will have to be a whole family adjustment. I know that this is something that you do in your business. What is involved with this? So how can people do some sustainable changes as a family so that everybody is improving their eating habits? Because it can be really hard as a parent if you don't have that kind of, have never had that upbringing, you've never learned that skill maybe you're not much of a foodie or you don't really know much about nutrition to you're going to make the change for yourself so that your children then can also eat well. so what what is your process there?
1: Yeah, so I think the most important thing is small steps. It's my whole ethos, small steps create great lasting change. I think we've all had some kind of experience where we've decided we're going to do this big diet overhaul, this big detox, whatever it might be. It's massive change all at once. And it's just not sustainable for most people. You know, some people can do it that way. But I think the majority of people, it just needs to be small steps, um to make that change so um, if yeah if you've never really been in the kitchen much throughout your whole life and this is all very very new to you um, you know you might start like i suggested earlier with perhaps just changing your brands of what you're buying um, and that can be a great first step so the way that i started um you know 15 years ago I ate very, very differently to what, to what I do now and I knew I didn't know any, you know, very little of what I know now. So I was really in that position. Um, and the way that I started out was on my when I decided I needed to make some change. On that first shopping trip, I chose the two lowest hanging fruit. I chose the two foods that our family consumed the most. So I think from memory it was bread um, and it was breakfast. So on that first shopping trip to the shop, I took along my new books that were giving me this inspiration. So I started out with um, The Chemical Maze and the, the other book was on food additives. I can't remember the name right now. Um, I went to the shop with my new books and I grabbed the bread that I normally bought, had a look at the ingredients. I looked to see what preservatives, additives, etc. they had, I looked in my book I could see that they were not a good choice, that I wanted to get rid of them. So it probably took me a good 10, 15 minutes in the bread aisle, looking at all the different breads and finding a better option. But from that point forward, I then knew what bread to choose and I could move on. So I did the same with cereal, you know, whatever cereal we were buying at at that point, we were eating cereal at breakfast. I realized it wasn't a good choice spent that time found a better option so the next time i went shopping i already knew my bread and i already knew my cereal and i could move on to another two the following week and i just kept going until i'd pretty much gotten through everything that we would buy in a weekly shopping trip it took a few weeks but had i gone gung-ho gone that first trip and decided to do everything at once. I would have been there for hours. <laughs> you know, there's, there was a lot of products to look at. So I decided that, yeah, those those slower steps were gonna be more sustainable for me. Um and that's that's the approach that I still tell people.
0: And also your family were more likely to accept those changes, right? Because if you came home with a whole new like um pantry, they'll be like, what? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. There would have been food refusal left, right and centre. Yeah, absolutely. It it really helped with that too. Um, and the same goes for, you know, when you're starting out to cook more, um, you know, start by maybe, um, cooking versions of what you've been buying, you know, as similar as you can. Um, so that again, it's not too much change, um, you know, if we're trying to change, say, a brand of peanut butter from, you know, your usual brand, which might have a lot of vegetable oils and sugar and things, to a more whole food peanut butter. If you've got some serious food refusal going on, I'm not opposed to using the old container and putting some of the new peanut butter in it. Um, you know, even mixing it um, half and half for a while to change taste buds. There's a lot of ways that we can make it easier for ourselves you know and stop you know really reduce that total refusal from the start so um yeah there's lots of tips and tricks
0: along the way that's fabulous and that obviously is why your business name is small steps uh, family nutrition it makes sense and doing that is a very small step if you have to yeah go half 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 and then it slowly build up and they'll eat the whole you know eat the peanut butter that you want um And also I know that as part of your coaching um, service, so uh, for the listeners, you are a nutrition coach. So you help families make these changes and really support them through that process. One of the things that I've seen that you do is like a pantry cleaner or assessment or what would you call that?
1: Yeah. um, So it's, I call it the family nutrition reset. So it's, um, yeah, a reset basically of your fridge, your pantry. um, And that's where I'll come to your home. No judgment. I've seen it all. (laughs) Um, We'll have a look at both your fridge and your pantry. And we will actually together pull everything out, give it a good clean. Um, I've got a really good process of um, where to have things situated in the fridge, Um, you know, we automatically go for what's right in front of us, right? So in your pantry, that's not where you want to have your chocolate, or that's not where you want to have those snacks that you want as a sometimes thing. So I've got some good ideas around how to set up uh, the, the pantry and the fridge. We'll have a little talk about what is in there, um, you know, read some labels. I'll teach you some tips about reading those food labels and why we want to read those food labels, you know, what's the, the damage that these additives could be doing to us. So a little bit of information around that. Talk about some, you know, some swaps, some acceptable swaps. Um, talk about food storage, you know, um, what to store our food in to get the, the best Um, time out of our food and no spoilage. Um, You know, lots of tips and tricks around that Um, and just a good chat while we're doing it.
0: Even for myself as someone who eats quite – pretty well. Even those people who do generally, well, it's really nice to still have that support every now and then to help do a reset and just to have somebody to be there because as a, a parent who's busy and you've got so many things on the go, sometimes you just need that extra support and somebody to be like, okay, let's just um, rejig a few things, even like simple changes, like you said, positioning of foods in the cupboard. That's fantastic. So- People who want to find you to be able to do this, um, where is the best place for them to find you, your website, and your social media?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm called Small Steps Family Nutrition. So I share lots on there. I I share lots of recipes, um, some before and after photos of clients who I've been to see, um, tips and tricks, lots of things like that. I share a weekly um, meal plan inspo. So I'll share basically what we're having in our house for our meals for the week. And it can just be a good way to get some new ideas on on foods that you might like to try with your family. And I also have a website, smallstepsnutrition.com. And, yeah, all of the information about what I offer, my packages are on there. I have a little shop set up on there with some e-books that are there for purchasing and a little recipe section.
0: Fantastic. I will put the links to all of that in the show notes. It's easy for people to find. Everyone jump over to your um, website and social media and get some recipe inspiration. Thank you so much for sharing all your fabulous information and advice. And it all is very I was going to say easy to digest actually the information it's um it's no pun intended yeah. it's sustainable things simple things that we can do and uh, just thank you so much for being on the show thanks for having me Alex it's been great